Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello everybody, welcome back to the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, brought to you in association with Future Radio. I'm your host Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman to reflect on a thrilling and epic 4-4 draw against Southampton at St Mary's on Saturday. I think we've just all about caught our breath for recording this on Sunday morning. Um, quite a, a game to reflect on. I don't think we're going to be uh, short of things to speak about today, that's uh, that's for sure. Um, Paddy, let's 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 start with you. I mean, frantic, frenetic, breathless, just a utterly brilliant. Before we actually dissect it as a spectacle, just an utterly brilliant game of football to both be at and and, and consume as well. Yeah, I've seen one or two. Um, you know, Will Jennings, actually one of our columnists, um, good operator. He's uh, he, he was there yesterday, and he's he's kind of drawing parallels with. I think uh, apologies, Will. I've got the wrong games, but kind of Forest, um, the Onel Hernandez game in terms of the excitement and the ebb and flow and the seesaw nature of it. That was that was the first title winning season, wasn't it? Around about Christmas time, um, and I think he also threw in maybe the Simeon Jackson um, going even further back. The uh, the the memorable Easter Monday game was it when the roof came off Car Road when they beat Derby in dramatic fashion. Sadly. Uh, both of those were, were, were wins, weren't they? Or was, was the Forest game a draw? I can't remember now. It's all, yeah, 3-3, free, free, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there is a parallel there. But um, that's the only tinge, I think, of frustration from the events that unfolded at Southampton on, on Saturday afternoon that you get to 95 minutes as it was when the incident uh, occurred with Dimi Yanoulis and Carl Walker-Peters. 97 minutes by the time Adam Armstrong ste- stepping up to score his second penalty in the afternoon to make it 4-4. And it's kind of the air gets let out a little bit because three points in that fashion would have been a huge statement, I think, so early in the season, setting the tone, which is what it's all about. Certainly after all that went before towards the end of last season and that frustration, you know, that would really have accelerated us away from kind of what went before. But alas, it was a point, but still, you know, as David himself said, David Wagner, you know, of course there was a disappointment and a frustration and we'll get into the, the, the nuances of the elements in the game that probably added to that in terms of some of the uh, the key episodes. But I think by now, Sunday morning, we're recording this. I think there will be a realisation that the positives far outweigh the negatives and um, so much to build on really. Uh, and, uh, and I think four points from six, first two games, we take a more, holistic approach about it from, from from the base that they were starting at. There's definite progress uh, and individually and collectively, you know, structurally in terms of the team and the shape and the individuals within that in and out of possession. Um, it's all positive. But, you know, when you're 4-3 up going into the 95th minute of a game to then get pegged back, of course, the human nature element of it is one of you've let two points go there and, and it's Hugely frustrating for all concerned. You could see when they trooped off at the end after acknowledging the 2,000 away fans at St Mary's, there was you know visible frustration on the faces of those Norwich players and the coaching staff. But yeah, I I, I think now that the realization will start to dawn against a, a squad, a club, uh, a manager we all know well in these parts who will expect nothing less than to go straight back to the Premier League to benchmark against them. Norwich were really as as you know as good in, in many facets of the game. And if that's the case, moving forward now, you have to be quite optimistic that, you know, our fears that, you know, it could be another kind of mid-table nothingness type season. I think they're starting to recede now and uh, and I think sites can be raised higher. Still a huge amount of work to, to, to do. Nobody's getting carried away, clearly. But it's positive. It's positive. The mood feels positive. The fan base, Sam spoke to a lot of fans after the game yesterday, the mood feels positive. It feels optimistic. It feels upbeat. Uh, and that's a great place to be in from where we finished the uh, the back end of last season. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I spoke to Kenny McLean afterwards and he touched upon that as well because you, you can look at it and you can say four points over two games, incredibly positive. And it's that old cliche, isn't it, of winning your home games and drawing your away games in the championship. You do that, over obviously, over the course of a season rather than two games and you end up where, where every team wants to be. But it's more the performances that are driving. I think some of some of the optimism that's that's being felt around uh, Norwich at the moment, Sam. You saw it at the end. The reception those players got from the two thousand travelling support. You sensed it at Carrow Road last week. Obviously, the the nature of that particular Adamida winner helped. But I think even without that, that that still would have existed. There's there's a lot more cohesion and identity and clarity over what Norwich City are trying to do. Perhaps more so in these two games than the entirety of of last season is as Paddy said you spoke to a lot of fans is that what you were hearing after the game yesterday that the application the performances are what's fueling this this optimism and, and this idea that, that Paddy says that maybe this season will be a little bit better than perhaps we all thought and predicted I think so and everyone I've spoken to um, in those conversations with fans going back to the Olympiacos game has said that they felt more positive about Norwich City's prospects for the season having seen the games that they've seen and I think that is down to the way that that Norwich have played and not only are the results obviously impressive in isolation but there's certainly more of a feeling that we know what this Norwich City side is Um, and it might not be one that's concentrated on possession or knows what it is in that sense but I think Norwich fans now know what sort of team they're they're going to watch when they go to Carrow Road or when they go on these away trips. And I think the script that we almost wrote for Norwich going into this game was exactly how it played out. And in a way, that sounds like a negative. But I think going back to those Daniel Farker years when it probably was the last time that Norwich fans felt so positive um, and enjoyed going to games as much as they do at the moment, I think there was a... A strength behind that identity, and the the fans felt they were getting behind a team that they knew um, they knew how they were going to to play, and that was exactly what we saw yesterday. We saw all the strengths that we've been highlighting throughout the summer, um, and obviously at the start of this season, Norwich only had thirty one percent possession, but they countered really quickly. That was something Russell Martin touched on post game as well that um, Norwich looked really good and really physical in that sense, and every fan that I spoke to spoke about how how physical they look this season and how up for the fight they are. And I can't remember the last time that was a compliment being used around a Norwich team. We're probably going back more than 10 years for that. So um, I think it is exciting going forward. And certainly these performances have laid the foundations for hopefully a positive season because we were looking back at a pre-season where, yes, the results were impressive and the performances were too. But there was a question mark over whether these players would be able to produce it under pressure. Now you go into two fixtures where there's been a lot of expectation and a lot of uh, demands on them. You go into the first game of the season, it's against Hull, who aren't expected to challenge for promotion. Norwich fans are looking for signs of what the season is going to look like. and Obviously, it's the first home game of the season and they score a 96 minute winner and they play really well then they go to one of the favourites in the league um, to get promotion and they score four goals and I think they're proving that all of those signs in pre-season weren't necessarily just them playing with the pressure off I think that was them showing what this team can be over the course of the season and uh, the performances we've seen so far certainly bode very well I think there's probably a, a recognition that a draw was a deserved result yesterday and it probably will take a little bit less time for the pain to fade on this one given how how much of a roller coaster of an event it was and given the performance in the team um they played against but yeah i think overall there's much more positivity and a lot of that is down to how the team is playing generally rather than just these two results which in isolation are, are very good ones and there seems to be an excitement now um, to go and watch Norwich play and it's it's really encouraging to see that after such a long time without it. Yeah, and it's it's easy to get carried away as well. Only, only two games and it's a very, very small sample signs, but it's those uh those green shoots, I guess, those those elements of, of positivity. And of course you can compare it to last season where they started, they also had three defeats, but then went on a brilliant run under Dean Smith and ended up top of the division. But all of that time was kind of caveated with 
they're not playing very well. And I think you, you see the trend in football that, that results follow performances. And at the moment, the two performances, particularly the two first half performances, I think in both of, of the games have been pretty fabulous, I would say so far. Just to recap on, on yesterday, because um, I, I know it's uh, I, I've done it already. It's it's easy to forget exactly what, what happened. Uh, I've managed to get the, the, the goal scorers in front of me so I can reel them off. Josh Sargent gave Norwich the lead after seven minutes. That, that felt really important given... Uh, how long Southampton had been without a win at home, the nervousness around the place. Russell Martin spoke about that in his in his press conference. I think it was the, the perfect start. Jan Bednarek then equalised 10 minutes later. Uh, we will come back to, to this goal in particular, but it was a, a Jack Stevens header that was um, that was saved by Angus Gunn and, and his uh, centre-back partner Bednarek followed up uh, with the rebound. Then Shane Duffy gave away a pretty ridiculous penalty uh, with a handball inside the area. That was converted by Adam Armstrong in the 21st minute. Two minutes later, Gabriel Sarah, in typical Gabriel Sarah fashion, scored an absolute worldie, um, finding the top corner for when the ball was seemingly travelling away from goal. It was very um, similar to the goal he scored against Blackburn last season, if, if you remember that, at Ewood Park, where he managed to somehow pick out the, the top corner from, from a really acute position. Uh, so that meant we, it was uh, it was 2-2 inside 23 minutes. John Rowe then uh, then gave Norwich the lead in first half stoppage time, as he did last week, with a, a header, which probably isn't a goal we would uh, naturally um, mention with, with with John Rowe's name, but it was excellent. Some, some brilliant blocking work from Ben Gibson, actually, having watched a replay. So he, he deserves some credit for that. Che Adams then came off the bench and made a, a pretty immediate impact on 57 minutes. Uh, brilliant finish after a series of blocks, created a, a yard of space for himself. Excellent finish across Angus Gunn from the edge of the area. Christian Fashnak then gave Norwich the lead. Um, in the round this, Will Smallbone was off the pitch getting treatment. Norwich kind of exploited the fact that Southampton were, were a man down. Ryan Manning makes a terrible error at the, at the back. Really poor first touch, but a really clinical finish from Fashnak to come off, come off the bench. And then in the 97th minute, which is probably the place we're going to start, really, because once again, uh, we're going to have to talk about some of the decisions around this game. Um, Carl Walker-Peters is brought down by Dimi Yanoulis. Penalty given. Adam Armstrong converts in the 97th minute to make it 4-4. Hopefully, we've uh, we're, we've all caught our breath after that. Um, I, I don't want to spend too long talking about the refereeing decision because I think a lot of people have their, their view on it. So what, what we're going to do is... Um, I am going to put the incidents to you and you're going to say yes or no. And uh, that's that's where we're going to leave it. And um, um, maybe I'll let you expand if, if there's a particularly interesting answer. So let's start with the let's start at the end with that penalty, which is perhaps the most controversial at all um, of all for, for Norwich fans, given the time that that it came. Dimi Yanoulis on Carl Walker-Peters. Sam, let's start with you. Penalty or no penalty? Penalty, I think. I think if it was the other way around, I would be... Um... I think Norwich fans would be would be screaming for it to be honest. Paddy, penalty. We're in agreement then. Uh, what the the other one, the offside, which um, is an interesting one. So this was a goal that Norwich did score. Ashley Barnes tapped in from. Uh, it was a free kick by Sarah, I think. Uh, then it was Sargent at the back post. Well, it was a shot that was saved. Sargent then collects it, puts it across goal, and Ashley Barnes taps in. Um, offside, Paddy. Yes or no? Well, I I haven't seen it back, if I'm honest. So, if it the the, the debate here, it's a bit more cloudy because you know I think by all accounts, Sarge uh, not Sergeant, I think uh, Barnes is offside at the moment that Sarah hits the ball. But is he in that first phase? What constitutes a different phase of play? Is it the moment that the keeper saves the free kick, pushes it out? If that's a different phase of play, um, and Sergeant wasn't offside in the initial phase, then. I don't see how that goal shouldn't be allowed. So, but we don't know definitively because we haven't, you know, we're not going to be able to speak to the officials which aspect of that goal they've deemed to be offside. Is it the sergeant um, initial trigger move or is it when Barnes goes? So, um, but irrespective of what we think, David Wagner said categorically he'd seen video footage after the game, that goal should have stood. Sam, let's uh, let's come to you on that. Are you in agreement with Paddy there? Yeah, he's onside. Um, having seen the replay, it looks like Sergeant is onside, and that's the only thing that matters. Given he's the first one that makes contact um, when the keeper saves the free kick, then Barnes Barnes is behind the ball when it gets played back to him. So I think everyone is onside at the relevant phases, and I'm not quite sure why um, that's been ruled out. To be honest, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a really interesting one. It comes down to whether or not you constitute the fact that the parried shot is if, is that a new phase or is it a different phase? And uh, I think that's probably open to in- interpretation without actually having the law in front of me. I've tried to have a quick look, but there's a lot of words that I'm trying to process whilst re- whilst speaking at the same time. So that is uh, that's difficult and uh i guess is 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 maybe i'm sure the law does cover that so it's probably one for further clarification but in my view if josh Sargent is onside there the goal probably should should stand and then there was a, an issue of a push around the first goal that david wagner highlighted wasn't it paddy um what what do you what do you make of, of that one does he have a point there in in, in that goal and and the build up to it? i think it was on jack stevens at the or jack stevens on the norwich man at the at the back post I don't know why, but I was actually focusing in on that duel at the back post as that ball got developed. Um, and he was very, very cute, cute slash an illegal action. But he did, he did. He, before the ball has reached them in flight, they always, you, you see that often with kind of defenders and attackers when they have duels that the, the, the ones who've been around the block a little bit will just give their opponent a little nudge to get the jump on them. And that's basically what he did. So, you know, I don't know about both hands on. I'd have to see that element again. But the officials clearly didn't see that. If they'd have seen that, then they don't they don't allow that game goal to to play out as it did. So David Wagner had a point for me on that. Yeah, he definitely, absolutely, because I was watching it with my own eyes, gave him a push. Yeah, agreed. So hopefully we've uh, we've cleared all of those up and haven't spent too long speaking about. Uh, decisions. I think. I think going back to the phase thing, just having a quick look, it all comes down to whether or not you consider Ashley Barnes to have gained an advantage uh, in the from being in an offside position in the initial phase. But given there's a couple of Southampton players ahead of him, by the time he puts the ball in the back of the net, I'm not sure you could reasonably make that argument. But again, probably open to interpretation. So there we go. That's uh, that's all of the refereeing decisions covered. I think it was a penalty, soft, but. Uh, if, if we're saying it's a soft penalty, it's a penalty, right? I think that's, we, we probably agreed. So uh, yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, I can see why people are upset about it. But I also think if that wasn't given, Russell Martin would have a very strong case that he should have been. So it's one of those, isn't it? But there we go. We haven't spent too long on that. So that's good. Um, I mean, we, we, we've spoken about Norwich City. I, I thought the, the second half performance, uh, Sam, was was interesting because actually prior to... Christian Fashnak's goal and obviously the context of Smallbone being off and that um, giving a, a little break in play. Felt like Southampton were probably more likely to score. Norwich had dropped very deep. They weren't, I wouldn't say they were physically tired, but the way that Southampton play the game, they go to mentally tire opponents, right? It's about having so much of the ball, keeping it in, in high percentages. And, and you know, we've all played the game. When you're defending without the ball, it's physically and mentally much more demanding than, than when you do have it. So that's the idea. You wear your opponents down for that slight moment of, of lack of concentration and, uh, and whatnot. Um, over, overall, how, how would you how would you assess how would you assess it in the end? It felt to me I came away, even though, you know, I know a lot of people will point to the, the last minute goal, probably feeling that a point on the reflection of the game was was probably about right for how it had transpired. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But um, I think it was a lot of the goals were avoidable. In fact, maybe all of the goals for Southampton um, were avoidable. So in that sense, it's quite a disappointing one for Norwich. I do agree with you that um, in terms of the balance of play and chance created and who was in control of what at what times in the match... Um, Probably Southampton deserved a point, but you look at how both teams scored the goals, and Norwich have worked really hard to create probably two very good goals, and then two goals that Southampton will have wanted to do better with defensively. And I'm not sure Southampton have really had to work especially hard for any of their goals um, in the end. It's it's like you say, the way that they play depends on on teams perhaps losing that concentration that's so key when you're sort of in a block and trying to defend against the sort of movement that that they employ on the ball. Um, but you would have liked to think that if if a team that's being backed for promotion from this league scores four goals against you, that they've created at least one lovely passing move and got into the box. But you look at the goals, it's two very avoidable penalties. Um, one set piece, which was, I know there may well have been a foul in there, but pretty poorly defended set piece and then another one where Che Adams has sort of 
led two or three defense, defenders in a merry dance and they just couldn't get the ball clear before it fell to him again. And I think that will be disappointing for Norwich looking back on that. There's certainly a good amount for Wagner to analyse with his defenders. And um, it's quite worrying for me that one of the consistent themes we saw throughout pre-season and probably in that whole game as well, in that defensive solidity and structurally being so good, that seemed to all fall apart against Southampton. And um, defensively, it was quite a worrying one for me. But as you say, I think on the balance of play, and this was what, this is what pretty much everyone I've I've seen and, and spoken to about this game has said. It does feel like a, a very fair result. And that probably speaks pretty highly to Norwich's um, prospects for the season because it's not like they're coming away from Southampton delighted with a point um, that they've had to scrap for and that they've gone down the traditional route with away from home. They've, um, they've probably felt like there were plenty of opportunities for them to win that game and... Uh, that does bode well because it looks like they may well be matching up to the top teams in this league. And you look at their record against some of the teams that were vying for promotion last season. And I think that hinted at the fact that they weren't quite at that level, even when they were sort of in and around the playoffs, they really struggled against the teams that were sort of top 10. And um, for them to be laying down a marker against a team that on paper is so, so good for this league. um, I think that does, that does bode really well for them. But yeah, overall, I don't think, Norwich fans can have too many complaints about who deserved what. I think a draw was was very much the fair result. Yeah, and I think actually you you, you look at the the numbers in the, around the game, and I think it, it points to that as well. Uh, I know expected goals isn't everyone's favourite stat, but it, it is uh, as it currently is. I'm looking at it on on FB Ref, um, which is a very good website for for kind of statistical stuff. Um, Ranks Southampton at three point six compared to Norwich's two, but then you have to take in mind that Southampton got two penalties, which are a pretty set xG rate. So you take that off, it's about even really in terms of the the chance creation numbers, um, which obviously you know we can have a really big debate about whether a penalty is is right for the crime, um, but that's that's probably a uh, debate for a different podcast. But it it, it shows and 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 I guess Paddy that the flips uh, to play devil's advocate because I agree with a lot of what Sam said there. But you could argue again maybe if you want to take a bit more of a long term view and uh, you could argue it, it was an it was a good time for Norwich to play Southampton in terms of all of the speculation everything that they're dealing with at the moment James Ward Prowse uh, Romeo Lavia I think there's lots of other players in the background who would like to go if that opportunity arose Russell Martin said that in in his post-match interview they're still at the very start of their project with Russell Martin who wants to play in a very specific way and has made all of the teams that he's coached better he's left them in a better place than, than he's found them they're at the start of that journey I think there'll be very few teams who go to Southampton and pick up three points this year. I think David Wagner's right in his assessment. So that is right, but there's there's also additional context as well. But Sam's right. Kenny McLean referenced it as well. The fact that Norwich are walking away from St Mary's feeling disappointed, that's a testament to how much they've grown. And I think maybe the biggest compliment of the afternoon came from, from Russ himself when in his post-match interview he said this is a much better Norwich City team than the one I played towards the end of last season. I mean, that's that's a very... That's an external view, and it's also a view of the growth that they've made in, in the last few months, which you know we recognised was was an absolute necessity if this season is is going to be anything, and could completely derail from here, could improve from here, but it all goes back to the feeling of it, and the feeling is much more positive now, and this result will only will only add to that, but more so the performance around it. And that and that point about, and I, I know it was a different Russell Martin team, different football club, but but Swansea was so dominant, but. The proximity of that game to this one, I mean, that was very, very towards the end of last season. And that is a pertinent parallel for me because the, the and Russell also said yesterday that, you know, off the back of that assessment, that, that the business that Norwich have done, the, the experience they've added, the game management element. And of course, you know, you could argue, well, it, it wasn't too clever in 95 minutes on the clock yesterday, but but I think that would be very harsh because in the two games, both Hull and uh, the Southampton game, they have faced adversity. They have fallen behind and they've not buckled. Um, they've actually, you know, come through those storms and and uh, come out the other side. And um, that isn't what we saw from the Norwich team who took on a Russell Martin team at Carrowd in April. Uh, it was a capitulation. I know there was a red card for McCallum and, but even prior to that, it was pretty clear there was only one outcome that day. And um, 
and that's a true testament to David and his coaching staff. And of course, they've they've added Narcis Pelach to that coaching team as well. They've changed the keeper coach as well. It isn't all on David, and it isn't all about the players they've brought in. They have refreshed the whole footballing side uh, at, at senior level uh, in the football club. And um, and again, with the caveat that we're two games in, and, and the championship is uh, a very testing environment, and things could look very different again in a month, two months' time. Um, Right now, it looks like things have, have majorly improved uh, in a positive fashion, whatever particular aspect of that you want to dig into. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with Southampton. It is early, and Russell talked about, you know, the disruption that he's having to deal with and manage while trying to get games of football under their belts um, embedding in a cultural style. He made a very good point that he feels it's what he's facing now is very much Vincent company faced when he went into Burnley this time last year, a team have come down with all the baggage you, you have to take on board, but but really almost a complete U-turn in terms of the style of play and the demands on that set of players. Um, and if that's where Russell's at, then it is going to take a little bit of time, inevitably. But I, I still look at their front line yesterday and Adam Armstrong, Jay Adams, whether he stays or goes, but Jay Adams, Premier League grade, Teller, excellent for Burnley, funnily enough, last season at this level. And Alcaraz, I was very impressed with him. I thought he was a he was a standout and, and he could be a standout this season in this league. So in terms of well, they they are in flux and they are in, there is an evolutionary feel around Southampton. I think at the top end of the pitch, you know, Norwich faced players who probably will be part of the journey for Southampton and will be as good as anything they face in this division this season. So I think there is a bit of mitigation in terms of if we if we're gonna be harsh and look at the, the defensive errors that were in that Norwich performance, they were facing probably as good an attacking force as they will face in this division. And they were two minutes or so away from from, from winning. So yeah, I th- I think Russell's right, you know. But it's it's good to get that outside perspective. You know, we we're inside and following it and maybe there's not that the degree of detachment but there's a guy whose only two references to Norwich City are a Swansea team he brought to Car Road in April and dismissed Norwich fairly easily uh, and, a, and a completely different game yesterday um, where they needed essentially his team for all their possession for all their chances I mean it's worth pointing out you know he talked I think was it 30 plus they created if you look at shots on target or attempts on target the metric is 10-6, much closer than, than you know, any sense that Norwich were feeding on scraps in the final third. Um, and, and if that's the case, for me, you know, Russell Martin's a pretty good judge, I think. And, 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 and he also added, I think it was in his club media interview, that he feels Norwich will be up there. You know, whatever we want to talk about Southampton as a promotion benchmark, he feels this group of Norwich players under this head coach they will last the course and they will be in and around this promotion conversation. And that, if you're a Norwich fan, is great to hear, isn't it? Because um, they will, will feel, whether you've been there in, in, in person at Car Road or on, on the road at St Mary's, they will feel something's shifting. But to have that confirmation almost from outside the camp, I think it just adds to the belief that um, they might be onto something. Absolutely. And, and, uh, I think he also described them as as one of the best transitional teams in the league. Pace, powerful, all of these kind of buzzwords that we wouldn't necessarily have associated with them last season. John Rose made a really big impact. And it's interesting because Norwich's midfield at the moment is quite left-footed. So he almost has to come and drift centrally to join them. But I thought they were really brave, Sam, in, in what they did at points because they, they defended and they defended... It's going to sound bizarre because they conceded four goals. But in terms of actually protecting their box, they, they didn't do too much wrong we're kind of looking more at individual errors rather than than structurally and poor decision makings with you know listen and duffy giving away a penalty the shea adams one is, is an excellent finish and you know we can dissect it beyond that of, of course and you, you're right to point out there were some poor defensive moments in there but in terms of, of their box that they, they, they were okay but they, they were re- they were really brave i thought by leaving the two men forward that they did barnes and, and sergeant in the first half in particular those two gave Southampton real problems. They gave Norwich a real outlet. But for me, it, to go alongside that, the bravery of doing that tactically was, was really interesting. It's certainly something that Russell Martin spoke about, but it gave Norwich really big opportunities in transition. 
but then you're still willing players to go and join those attacking moments and to have the legs and the willingness and desire to 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 go and attack spaces and to go and create overloads and to go and cause problems. Gabriel Saro is is maybe the the best example of of that. But this is where Wagner, Palash, Bula, Hughes, all of them deserve credit for the game plan that they concocted because to leave two men up, I felt, particularly in that first half, really caused Southampton problems and, and credit to Josh Sargent, who I thought was excellent yesterday, and Ashley Barnes, who was perhaps a little bit more quietly effective. The two of them did an excellent job up there in, in, in that role. Yeah, I think so. Norwich looked very dangerous on the counter from minute one. I think I turned to Paddy even before they scored that first goal and said, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for Norwich here. And that wasn't just because Southampton were obviously playing so far up the pitch and were so focused on possession. It was also because Sargent and Barnes were engineering a situation where Norwich really had bodies forward um, at every available opportunity. And you're right to highlight that. And, and Martin clearly was affected by it because it really gave Southampton a decision to make. And most teams that they'll come up against this season, I'm sure it'll be the same old formula that Norwich struggled to break down last season. And it'll be, you know, a bank of five, a bank of four, one one left up top and Southampton's job to break that down. And it'll be probably what makes that job easier for, for Russell Martin that obviously Pad spoke about and the amount of time that it takes is the fact that they will come up against very similar tests week in, week out. And that was... Um, that was similar to what they came up against against Sheffield Wednesday, but Norwich gave them a different decision to make. When you leave two up, it means that the system that they had planned for probably wasn't wasn't going to be like that, and it gave the defenders a different decision to make. It then gives Martin a different decision to make in terms of whether he keeps the same structure or whether he takes that risk. But the most exciting sign of it for me was the fact that it shows that bravery that I think Norwich have lacked for some time now. I think under Dean Smith, there was so much pragmatism and priority on avoiding issues that we didn't really see Norwich as a brave team, as a team that wanted to take risks and wanted to take the game to the opposition. But Wagner, to give credit to him since he came in, has spoken about how he wants a, a brave team that plays quickly, that plays attacking football. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have possession um it means that whenever they have the ball you can see that intent and i do think they have the players now that work so perfectly in that system gabriel saro with the athleticism i think you can tell why it took so many years for norwich to to add that player and to add those players that brought them the athleticism and you can see within this system why they were so keen to get it for so long because they have a midfielder now that has the technical quality to to finish things off in and around the area but also has the the ability to get up and down and to work under the significant demands that Wagner places on those those central midfielders. And I don't know how it would pan out in the Premier League, but I think what Wagner's doing with this system is really getting every ounce out of every player that he has there. I'm sure McLean and Sarah are absolutely exhausted at the end of every game, but they do the job and they do enough to make sure that Norwich are pretty good at, at both ends of the pitch. And yes, they did concede four goals, um, yesterday but as you said there was a lot of individual error involved in that and tactically I think Wagner and and Pelak to give him credit because Wagner did in the press conference before the game and he has a, a significant hand in preparing game plans for opposition I think they got it absolutely tactically spot on and um, that is a replicable formula as well uh, with a number of teams now in the championship wanting to dominate possession, wanting to take the game to the opposition. That suits Norwich just fine. And uh, the good thing as well is that we've seen they can do the opposite. So if they've got now evidence of a team that can break down staunch defences in what Hull provided and can also counter-attack um, physically and quickly like they did against Southampton, it looks like tactically they, they have solutions to most of the problems they're going to face in the Championship this season. And I think that's... That's really encouraging for Norwich. It is. I, I also thought the way that they they pressed was was really intelligent. I think anyone who watched Southampton against Sheffield Wednesday saw how well Southampton used the wide areas, particularly in that first half. The rotations, they got Teller involved, they got Aduzi involved. They were really prominent throughout that game. They also, Sheffield Wednesday, probably lacked the athleticism to go and press Southampton for a prolonged period of time, which Norwich 
did in different ways. They did go and engage them higher up the pitch at certain points and did that pretty well on the whole. Um, but then also when they did have to retreat into those those middle and, and, and low blocks, probably as the game progressed, really, they, they did that OK as well. Maybe not, not necessarily... Um, all of the time, but certainly for some of the time, they, they showed some some positive signs on that. And I thought the way that they they almost tried to press them, particularly in the first half, to kind of funnel them centrally, which is why Alcaraz got on the ball quite quite a lot more, was was quite intelligent as well. We didn't see too much of of Nathan Teller, which I think probably is was by design in terms of how David Wagner sought to to go about it, which um, which is good. So and and you know, for as much as as we talk about the goals conceded, I, I do think there is an element of this was just a crazy game. It happens. It's, it was one of those, wasn't it? It was so frantic, so breathless. Um, you know, and as much as we'll be talking about the, the goals that Norwich conceded, Paddy, we should talk about some of the ones that they scored because Gabriel Saras was was excellent. Josh Sargent's header was excellent. Uh, we've already discussed the the cleverness at the set piece for John Rowe to, to be able to score the header he did. Fashnax, I, I know it was a bit messy in terms of how the ball fell to him, but actually before that, it came from a really good burst forward from Dimi Yanoulis, who uh, really looks to have grown in the first two weeks of the season in terms of his ball progression, the way he's carrying the ball up the pitch. I mean, we can we can reflect negatively on the goals that they conceded, but I also think on the other hand, you have to talk about the quality of some of the goals that, that, they, that they scored as well. Absolutely. But also, and it follows on from Sam's point, you know, this idea that, well, you know, Norwich are going to um, basically invite teams onto them and then just go long, launch it and um, play off Barnes and, and Sargent. It's quite, it's quite clear that there's far more refinement uh, and, and that's unfolding game by game. And and for me, the aspect of that that is categorically the case is two or three movements yesterday and superb. I mean, I, I mean, there's goal, one of the Ipswich goals from Saturday is doing the rounds where it started with their keeper... Um, you know, pop passes through the thirds and, you know, good goal, though it is in their 2-0 win over Stoke. Um, but Norwich had two or three of those passages of play from Gunn through Stacey, then, you know, into play with Sarah and McLean. And there was, you know, there was one where Fasnack needed to pass that ball quicker to Barnes, who was unmarked. There was, there was another two or three other occasions and slicing through um, a good team like Southampton. And that, for me, is really exciting to see because it it basically underlines that technically there is there is quite a lot of nuance in terms of what Wagner's trying to do. It isn't simply, and we touched on him, and I agree, he has he has looked markedly better for me at the start of the season. Yanulis with his ability to stretch the play. We saw Stacey again yesterday for the first goal, how advanced he was. Um, they have that. They have John Rowe now in the mix. You've got the the ability to break forward from Zara, but but also in and amongst all that athleticism um, and dynamism and pace, you have some very good technical movements as well through the midfield. And, um, you know, we start to see more of that again. This point Sam was making about, you know, Norwich have faced two slightly, well, two very different types of challenge. You know, Hull were playing a lot deeper and Norwich were able to still um, find spaces and create plenty of chances Southampton was more of a type of game we'd associate with this type of David Wagner template, which is transitions, as Russ said, you know, very strong in that phase. But the fact that they've got, as I say, clearly some growth in terms of what they're trying to do and how they progress the ball, I think that will stand them in great stead. When it is a whole style challenge, they face probably more often than not at Carra Road, or they go away to one of the better teams in the division and they'll have far less in terms of possession and territory, but they can still punch you know, like for like in terms of chances and goals scored. And um, yeah, capped by, of course, when you have players of the talent of Gabby Zara, who peerless in the championship, I don't think there's a better... He's rubbish. He's rubbish. Let's not mention him. Let's not mention Yeah, well, August the 13th. So that that needs to click on to September the 1st in double quick time because uh, I wrote about yesterday, my point is, you know, there, there was a lot at the end of last season and maybe Stuart Webber added to that about, you know, there is interest clearly in the, in a player as good as him, but it has gone very, thankfully, quiet around him and his name over the summer. Um, he came out himself, did some media in Spain, uh, sorry, in Brazil, in his native Brazil and made it clear for him his unfinished business and it's getting to the Premier League with Norwich. Um, but if he continues to do what he's doing, uh, you do fear the top end clubs at, this league, i.e. the ones who've come down who have plenty of money uh, to play with, or 
mid to mid to slightly lower end of the of the Premier League because I don't think he's quite in. You know, I don't think you could drop him into a top ten Premier League side yet. Um, there's still areas of his game he needs to to, to add. Um, but but boy, is he is he adapting to English football now? And you and you see as well with him again. I wrote about this the the amount of sloppy uh, turnovers that that you know through poor passing and trying to force. The, there was one yesterday, but it but it stood out because it was the only one where he played a square ball when they were in a promising position. I think it was second half, um, and and straight away you could see his reaction when the play broke down. Thankfully, it didn't come to anything, but but he was annoyed with himself and. I think he clearly knows he's got to cut that out of his game because the other side, what he brings, I mean, it is a concern to me that there's still two or three weeks left in this window because although we haven't had any Nate, any chatter around him, if you're a you know a progressive Premier League club or a club who's looking to get back there in this league, you're looking at him because he's he's a player who makes things happen. You see Hamer from Coventry, he's gone to Sheffield United for reportedly 15 million, and you know what is what could this guy be worth in terms of what he could offer a potential side in terms of that midfield artistry, the goals and the assists as well. We're not just talking about a player who's, who looks good on the eye. He actually is, his numbers are there for all to see. You know, this season so far, the amount of chances he's created, the goal, the assists, um, his ability on set pieces, his quality on set pieces. Uh, he, he, he is without doubt as good as anything in the championship in his position. And um, it is a concern that, you know, they can navigate between now to the end of the window and not have to deal with with something that would be, you know, well, you know, financially it might be difficult to turn down. But from a footballing standpoint, everything we're talking about now in this conversation, particularly about the, the evolution under Wagner, he is pivotal. He is intrinsic to it. He is indispensable, if you want to use that phrase for me. I mean, to lose him at this stage, that would, whatever they banked in terms of tens of millions, I'm, um, I'm not sure that would compensate because he he is emerging now quite clearly as um, a pivotal part of what Wagner is trying to do with this Norwich team. And he's not even fully fit, and that's that's the thing at the moment. He is uh, he's a Premier League footballer, that's for sure, and uh, he will be a Premier League footballer with or without Norwich in the uh, in the not so distant future, I would imagine. But as long as he can hold off until after the summer window, that would be that would be fine. I mean, you, you mentioned some of those numbers. These are these are his numbers from. From yesterday, four chances created, two big chances created, a hundred percent dribbles. If you if you want to believe that, three passes into the into the final third. Uh, obviously, a goal and assist as well. It's it's productivity, but it's numbers behind that as well. He's 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 an excellent footballer, and I think, as I said, when they came up to full speed, he's he's going to be a pretty frightening prospect for the rest of the championship. But if anyone uh, of a Premier League club is uh, recruitment team watching this, he's rubbish. I'll go and look elsewhere. There's there's plenty of other options. Um, one player that they they have sold Sam for uh, money this week, Max Aaron's. It was uh, it was quite a saga. It was he was going to Leeds and then oh he might go to Southampton. Then he definitely was going to Bournemouth. Uh, really interesting to to see how that played out. I I know from an Origins perspective, it's maybe been hailed as some kind of masterpiece. But I, I think it was from their perspective they had three offers which were pretty much identical and they accepted all three and then it was up to the player so quite how much of a masterclass it is I'm not quite sure but uh, he has gone to Bournemouth it's it's it is probably the situation that we were all anticipating everyone heard uh, Stuart Webber's comments at the start of the summer about him needing to move on uh, they heard Max's comments as well earlier in the summer about how he felt that his career needed to move on as well 12 million pound package however you want to split it I've seen it split n- numerous different ways which is always really interesting and, and completely pointless it's a 12 million pound package that we can all agree on what what do you make of it have Norwich got a, a good bit of business here for a player in the in the final 12 months of his deal yeah I think they've done an excellent piece of business for themselves um, based on that to be honest and in isolation a 12 million pound package which we're told you know it's, it's realistic that Norwich get a significant number of those those add-ons that they've included in that deal so hopefully they will be getting up towards that figure. Um, you look at how the saga with Todd Cantwell played out um, last year, and I know that he wasn't in the same sort of form or held in the, the same regard by the time he got to that point as Aaron's is now. Um, but you look at how that situation can play out, and it could have looked very poor for Norwich, even in sort of five, six months' time. Um, we know there was significant interest from abroad at various times and he could have agreed a pre-contract in January to leave the club for free so to to get a deal 
worth up to twelve million pounds. I think is is good work by Stuart Webber. Again, as it was with Campbell, it's a little bit of a shame seeing the the sort of figures that were banded about earlier on in his career, and the fact that probably that would have been the move that he needed at the time as well. And I think had the interest maybe been slightly more significant <clears throat> at different times, then it would have been a better outcome for all if he could have gone slightly higher up the pyramid for slightly more money. And I think everyone associated with Norwich would have been happier with that. But the thing that really puts it into context for me that makes it look especially good, and I know Will um, Will Jennings wrote a, a column, I think, the, the other day about what a masterclass Webber's played in, in the right-back position. And when you put it into the context of the fact that Norwich have got Stacey, let go of Aaron's, and got a, a 12 million package involved, that does look like fantastic business. Um, and I don't want to start comparing Stacey to Aaron's just yet, given um, the, the former has played two games for Norwich and Aaron's played 213 and was pretty consistent throughout them. Um, but it does look overall like, especially in Wagner's system, um, they've done a, a pretty good deal and they've come out of it looking pretty good. You've got to remember they've got Kellen Fisher as well. They managed to sell Bally Mumba for what they think was a, a decent fee. So in the right-back position, a lot of work has gone on, but I think they actually look pretty well set in the short term and in the future with Fisher obviously only only 19. So um, I think that business is is good for Norwich, but obviously as there always is when a player who's contributed so much to the club leaves, uh, there has been a bit of an outpouring of emotion and, and you can see why um, Norwich fans were so so affected by him leaving the club because he's been a mainstay, not only in the, the difficult last two two years, but also in the very joyous moments that came in the two championship title wins before that. And he was a really key player um, in that Norwich team, especially at sort of his peak in a yellow and green shirt. So I'm sure everyone is hoping that he goes and makes a, a significant success of it. At Bournemouth, it was interesting to watch that sort of saga play out and, and hear the different parties' reaction to it um, since then. But yeah, I'm, just, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does in the Premier League team with a, a new energy. And it did feel like it was getting a little bit stale, even for a couple of years, to be honest, for him in a Norwich shirt. So I think it's the move that he wanted it's for a fee that Norwich will be happy with. And um, overall, in context, I think it, it suits all parties. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, so two things that I pick up on. First and foremost being, um, you know, it was a similar debate with Campwell around the, maybe the, the valuation points being higher, which is fine. But, and, and, and I get, you know, maybe looking back on that with a little bit of regret, but, but also it's like, well, if no one puts money down, it's not like they had five £30 million offers on the table because if that was the case, clearly he wouldn't be an Norwich City player and wouldn't have been an Norwich City player for so long. So um, they have never had an offer that was that was clearly um, of, of their valuation at any given point. And obviously that fluctuates between contractual situation, performance, league, all of that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I think you can maybe get caught up and say, oh, well, you know, he, he was a £30 million player five years ago well maybe he wasn't because no one was willing to pay 30 million pounds for him so they've, they've got to a place where someone has given them a fee reflective of his contractual situation reflective of the fact that he's in the championship I think they've done pretty well for themselves off the back of that and you know I've said this numerous times I think the fact he's a right back does make it more difficult to justify a club spending 30 million pounds on him for example because uh you know let's say I'm a I'm a, a sporting director and I go to my board of directors and say, oh, you know what, I've, I've found him. I've got the new £30 million man. And immediately you're thinking, brilliant striker, central midfielder, winger, someone who's going to score goals, someone who's a brilliant centre-half. No, 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 he's a right-back. It's a very difficult sell. You know, it's, it's a very difficult one. And uh, second, the second point I would make in terms of the debate, which again, I, I've seen as well, which is, um, oh, well, you know, they, they, they haven't maybe upgraded. And I think it's like this idea that maybe we don't need to look at it as a quality thing. It's just a difference thing. Jack Stacey is very different to Max Aarons. I would say he's very different in the final third. Can Max Aarons deliver the consistently quality crosses that we've seen from Jack Stacey in, in the opening weeks of his Norwich City career? I'm not sure he can. Max Aarons is very good and better in other aspects. Jack Stacey is, is good and better in other aspects. He's more athletic. He's bigger, more physical than, than, than Max is. So... I think you know it's it's a bit of a futile debate, but but those are the two points that I would I would pick up on. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, Paddy, we, I don't really want to go over Max Aarons again because we discussed him at length on, on Window Watch, uh, which people can, can can go and consume. But I, I guess it, it it sparks what's going to be an interesting few weeks. We mentioned Sarah Aarons has, has obviously gone. Feels like probably Omar Medelli and Rashica will will follow in 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 the weeks ahead. Uh, and, and I guess we'll see Norwich adopt a very similar strategy, won't we? These are two players that, particularly in Rashid's case, they could have sold earlier in the summer for a lower fee. This is about Norwich, as we've seen as a consistent throughout Stuart Webber's tenure, to be fair, ensuring that any departure is on their terms. And, and those they're not as maybe they felt they were being with Max Aarons earlier in, in the summer. And certainly Milo Rashica low-balled because of where they are. It's, it's going to be about maximising the fees that they can get for these these two players that we probably all still expect to leave. Correct. And, and David Wagner, on, on that point, both at the end of the season, there was the Fans Forum hosted by Radio Norfolk, Zoe Webber attended at the uh, start of the summer, reiterated Norwich will sell players, but it'll be on Norwich's terms. There won't be a financial imperative or a necessity, which hasn't always been the case under Stuart Webber, we know, um, infamously or famously, the, the Madison sale that summer to Leicester that that did keep the proverbial wolf from the door they're not in that scenario um and the the fact that they held firm uh with Aaron's but are holding firm with Rashita Omabamadi less so but you can imagine it would be the same process if something tangible comes to into play with that player that underlines yeah they they, they will only go um, if it makes footballing sense, firstly, and then the finances are right. And by that, that means Norwich have a valuation on these players. I think Stuart Webber's comments uh, in the official confirmation of Max's departure were Bournemouth matched our valuation and, and on we go. So, you know, there was no deal cut or a, a, a charitable kind of benevolence to a, a affording Max an opportunity to go and chase his Premier League dream if Bournemouth hadn't come, or Southampton for that matter, or Leeds for that matter, with, with uh, an offer that matched Norwich's valuation for that player at this current stage of his contractual cycle, um, he wasn't going anywhere. And it'll be the same with Rashica. And you can see the interplay played out a lot a lot of the time through the Turkish media, but we've had almost a saga, I think it's not to overstate it, for this summer around that player. The player doesn't want to be in the Championship at Norwich City, that's obvious. He does want to go back to Galatasaray. That's obvious. Galatasaray want the player because why wouldn't they? He had an impact in helping them to win the Super League title. And I think they're a step or two away from the Champions League group stage this season. They're a club who are looking onwards and upwards and they view him as part of that. Uh, all the messaging that comes out attributed to the figures, senior figures in Galatasaray's football club tell you that. He's a player they want to be part of the next stage of their journey. So we know all that. But really, the fact he's still here... Um, would mean that Galatasaray have yet to hit the numbers that Norwich require for that player. And um, it's going to be really interesting how late this goes. Do we feel it will conclude in Mila Rashica as paraded as a Galatasaray player following a transfer from Norwich? Yes. Um, but when and for how much, that's still all in play. And obviously, Alma Bamba Daily, less advanced, far less advanced, but you're starting to have to see a pickup in the speculation and the clubs he's getting linked with. AC Milan again. Over the weekend, reportedly uh, a player of interest, but the last report from a very reputable res uh, source in Italy, Gazetta, uh, was that possibly from a financial point of view, they wouldn't want to do anything until the January window. Well, I'm not sure they'll be afforded that luxury because I can see Premier League clubs now who may, in the weeks and days and weeks ahead, uh, be in need of a centre-back because they may be losing centre-backs at their current clubs. So... That, I think, will accelerate the Omobama daily aspect to Norwich's remaining few weeks of their transfer window. I think Rashica, that will move to a conclusion, which we all expect to be Galatasaray. And then thereafter, if there isn't any uh, uh, unwanted saga around Gabi Zara that comes into play, then uh, I think it'll be round the margins. Tim Krull, you know, we talked about him on Window Watch. Could we foresee a scenario where he departs? Yes. Um and there might be one or two others. You know, if it becomes clear in the next two or three weeks worth of games that certain players aren't going to get a look in, will they want to stay and hang around? Maybe not. Um, obviously, that you've got situations with younger players. It might be clear in the minds of Stuart and David that by the end of this month, it's time for some of those younger players to probably go out and play some football on loan. And of course, they've still got the loan route as an, as an inward option. Don't rule that one out. So 
it's enough to keep Norwich fans interested, but I think they need to dial down any expectations of uh, we're getting a central defensive midfielder, we're getting um, another expensively acquired uh, forward player or or another centre-back. Certainly on the centre-back, there'll only be one arrive if Omar Daly goes. So we're in a bit of a holding pattern again, I feel. But uh, yeah, but in the in the facet that we've discussed here in this segment, Norwich letting Rashita, letting Omar Daly go, that will only happen if clubs meet their valuation, clearly. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've seen a, a lot about kind of squad depth and, well, what happens if X player gets injured next year? Well, that's 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 the championship, I'm afraid, that, that Norwich can't carry players and buy players in the anticipation that one might suffer a major injury because what if they, what if they don't? Then you have to manage that situation. So, um, yeah, at the moment, the numbers uh, in and around the squad make sense. They have, as it stands, three senior fit centre-backs with Jaden Warner in the background, with Jonathan Tompkinson returning very soon. You've got five players in that area. Then Grant Hanley returns. Suddenly you get six. How many do you, are you saying you need three more in case uh, the Gibson gets injured and Duffy gets injured? I mean, you could go on and, and the list could go on forever. At some point, sometimes you just need a bit of luck and they just need a bit of luck. And uh, who knows, maybe they'll be afforded that. They're, they're pretty strong in other areas. We haven't seen Shemeswa Poheta yet. Uh, Sam McCallum, there's been some some links with as well. So yeah, I could see some some tidying up around the, the edge of the squad in, in the coming weeks. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, pretty ludicrous that the transfer window is allowed to go on as long as it does into the, into the season and allow the type of uncertainty that Norwich less so, more so kind of Southampton leads. I mean, you only have to look at what Daniel Farker is having to contend with at the moment. It's uh, pretty ludicrous and having lots of players either out on loan or refusing to play for the club. Um, that's a nonsense for me when when, when when the football is ongoing, but that's a, a different debate entirely. Um, Sam, a couple more points then to round off the, the podcast. I did want to speak to you a little bit about the new uh, head coach of Norwich City Women, which is uh, Martin Herdman. Uh, brilliant bit of trivia that his uh, his brother is the, the manager of Canada. Um, and uh, John and done a very good job there. I've over, over, uh, got them into the World Cup and, and all type of stuff, which is which is brilliant. You went to speak to him in midweek Thursday, which isn't midweek. It's the latter end, end of the week. Um, uh, no, it was Wednesday, wasn't it? Wednesday. Wednesday. Get, uh, I'll tell you what, the, the Aaron saga has thrown my calendar right out of the window. I don't know what day was what now. It was the middle of the week. I thought it was. Um, you, you went to, to speak to him. Looks a very good appointment on paper. He's uh, UEFA licensed, real experience, both in, in, in the men's game, Newcastle Academy. He's worked in the women's side of the game as well. This seems like a, a really good appointment. What were your first impressions of him having having spoken to him? He spoke really, really well and uh, came across very well. Seems like somebody who is enthusiastic about the challenge and excited about what he's faced with at, at Norwich City Women. Also somebody who has moved a significant distance to be here, um, which I think is, it shows the the magnitude of the job in his eyes and the pull that they've managed to to get um, from there because, you know, at, at that level, I think it's proved difficult for them to attract players that aren't from maybe slightly more local places. So to be able to get somebody, um, a manager who is so excited about this role that they'll move that far, that they'll change their life. And he spoke really glowingly about the city. He's obviously from Newcastle and, and spoke a lot about the comparisons between uh, Newcastle United fans and Norwich fans. He said when he's out in the in the city, he sees a lot of Norwich shirts, and that's a really encouraging thing for him. And the passion that he has for football is is really exciting to see. And I think he wants to play football in the right way with the right ideas as well. Um, whether he's got the players to do that, I think will time will tell. But the the idea is that Norwich will continue to progress above the level that they are. They're obviously hoping for a promotion this season from the fourth tier. And it looks like they're targeting quick progression. They announced six signings on the day um, on the day of, of Herdman's announcement. We're expecting another one soon. So um, it looks like a very exciting time to be in and around Norwich City women. And he was a really... Um, a really interesting person to interview. You can read that obviously on on our our written channels and the full interviews available on the the, uh, the Pink and YouTube channel as well. So yeah, um, plenty to ca- catch up with women wise, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they do this year. Yeah, and they they start their season next weekend away to Sudbury. They'll need an away kit for that, uh, which they're going to be using a third kit. So I would expect that in due course as well. Uh, so there we go. Norwich are definitely having one for those who who do keep asking. Uh, finally, then Paddy to round off the pod. Um, I wanted to get 
your gauge of excitement. What are you more excited for? Wednesday's Carabao Cup first round tie away at QPR or the prospect later this month for a Carabao Cup second round away draw to Bristol City? Neither, Connor, if I'm brutally <laughs> honest. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, um, yesterday, Saturday afternoon, we actually, uh, there won't be a, a pre QPR uh, cup presser, so we won't be trooping down to Colney on Tuesday or went Monday. Um, so we bounced a few at David Wagner in terms of his approach to that to that game and whether it be wholesale changes and, and unsurprisingly straight after Saturday's game, he, he wasn't really in a position to sort of give too much insight. But you would be surprised if they don't ring the change. I don't, I don't see there's any value in a sergeant or a Barnes or a... We've talked about the centre-backs, Gibson and Duffy. You play one of them two and they get injured. And uh, I don't know where that leaves you in terms of the far more pressing matter for the week ahead, which is Millwall this day next week at Carrow Road. So, yeah, it, I won't be crying any tears if it gets to the final whistle at Loftus Road and, uh, and Norwich have bowed out of the uh, the Carabao Cup, put it that way. No, absolutely not. And of course, yeah, Norwich's uh, next championship game will be at home at Carrow Road to Millwall next weekend. We will be there. We'll also be at Loftus Road in midweek, which we're all absolutely buzzing about. Uh, for, 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 for full coverage there. And uh, what I am going to say next week, we've got a very exciting addition to the podcast. All I'm going to say is cut out, cardboard cut out. And I'll, I'll leave that to, uh, to, the, to the imagination. Of course, if you would, uh, if you've got this far into the podcast, if you uh, are in a position that you would like to come on board as a sponsor and join us, then that would be uh, most appreciated. It would, we're, we're always welcome to that. Uh, Sam's got a cap on. We're very happy to wear any branded caps or any type of of clothing within reason um or you know particularly if you're a food company that would be that would tie in nicely we've gone throughout a whole podcast about discussing food which is uh, is a rarity but there we go that probably uh, that probably leads us nicely to end the show thank you very much to paddy and sam for joining me thank you all very much for listening we will see you next weekend and uh, given the the eight goal thriller we had at st mary's the fact it's next sunday is probably not a bad thing at all thanks for watching and listening